You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Dr. Glenn Schultz. Good morning. Where do we go from here? Uh, It's a mess how we got here, but where do we go from here? It's been quite a journey, and sometimes uh, you may think that those of us who present to you have it all together. Uh, This has been as much a journey for me as it has been for you, trust me. And uh, uh, we do a little bit review just so we remember the context of what I'm going to share with you today. Uh, We talked about the battle, and when we talked about the battle, we said that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We're in a spiritual battle. It's a battle that began in the heavenlies when Satan rebelled against God. And then when God created this world and he created man and designed the family, Satan brought that heavenly battle onto earth and attacked God's institution. And we know about the fall and all of those things But we also realized as we're going through this, the way Satan tries to deceive us is he goes and he uses man. He uses individuals, uh, individuals who follow false philosophies, who develop false narratives. And, And those false narratives are Satan's way of using the trickery of men to plot and take us captive. And as we looked at that, we see the two sides in this battle. We've got God and his truth. We've got Satan and his lies. Uh, Sort of juxtaposed on those two battlefronts is Paul writing to the Colossian Christians where he says, don't be taken captive. Don't be taken captive by Satan's lies but instead be taken captive by Christ, who is truth, and we find that in his word. So that's what we talked about. And then we looked and saw what happened when people in our country did not defend the biblical worldview, did not defend scripture, and turned out we ended up with liberal theology. And liberal theology denies God's word to be absolute truth, denies the Bible to be the inerrant word of God, and and it adapts and adopts a completely uh, secular worldview. Now, there were a group that attached themselves to the fundamentals of the faith. They wanted to protect uh, the doctrines of scripture. They believed the Bible was God's inerrant, sufficient word. And they focused on just the spiritual. And it turned out that they developed a dualistic worldview where there is the sacred divide and compartment of our lives. And there's the secular part of our lives, which we're just not going to address in the church. We saw where Satan, he wanted to go and use men like Hegel and Marx and Engel to develop a philosophy called classical Marxism, 
where they divided all of, at the time, Russia up into two groups, the oppressed and the oppressors. And the oppressors had to be overthrown by the oppressed to bring equality into the system. Then we also saw that now they've taken classical Marxism and they've developed what's referred to as neo-Marxism or cultural Marxism, where it's not just workers against owners, it's not just economic division, but it's all kinds of division. And men like Antonio Gramsci and the Frankfurt School and other postmodern thinkers, uh, they started developing what was in the 1930s called critical theory, where in order to go and create revolution, what they did was they focused on injustices in a society. They disregarded anything that was good. They only focused on the injustices and criticized them to the point where they're trying to divide and bring in rebellion and revolution. We saw it come out in things like multiculturalism and self-esteem, ethnic studies, self-actualization, and has led up to all these things that is causing division within our country right now. Ideologies such as critical race theory, intersectionality, wokeness. And what we saw was if you take all of those uh, types of ideologies, you can really put them under the umbrella of social justice. And, and because the fundamentalist went and said, we're not going to deal with that. That's something for the secular world. You just had the liberal theologians who they had already embraced social justice. So both Satan's uh, ideologies and liberal theology embrace the same social justice. Now what we've got to do, and this is where we're going today, is we've got to determine how do you de discern truth from lies? See, you could be sitting out there and say, well, that's all nice what you just showed, but I believe social justice is true. You say it's lies that come out of Satan's schemes. I, I believe it's true. How do you make the determination whether an ideology, whether a worldview, whether a belief system is true or not? I'm thankful that we've got a way to determine that. It's called the Bible. And, and in John's first letter to the churches, 1 John chapter 4, he says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, if many false prophets had gone out into the world in John's day, guess what? They're definitely out in the world today. There are people who have false ideas, who have swallowed Satan's lies, and they're in our world today, and they're out there promoting that false philosophy. John goes on in this letter and he says this, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh 
is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and now it is already in the world. Now that's a very strong statement, but I want you to understand that what John is writing here. He's saying anything that goes against the truth of God's word is against Jesus Christ. And if it's against Jesus Christ, it is the spirit of Antichrist. That, that's how strong John is making his point here. And even though there is going to come one day a true one person Antichrist, right now the spirit of Antichrist is all around us. It is the spirit of those ideologies and those philosophies that go against truth. And John finishes up this portion by saying this. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world. And you know something? The world listens to them. We are from God. Now he's talking to Christians. If you're a born again believer here, you're not from this world. You're from God. You're, you're part of God's family. The one who knows God listens to us. Now it doesn't mean just listens to men, but it listens to people who preach this word because we know it's from God. The one who is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So what we have got to do, we've got to take some of these false ideologies that are bombarding us and we've got to go and test them. And we've got to say, are they of God or are they antichrist? And what we're gonna do, we're gonna look at this topic that is so important to society. And that's the topic of justice. You know, when I became a Christian and I realized how sinful I was and that it took Jesus Christ to die a cruel cross, uh, death on a cross to pay for my sin. I, I, as a Christian, I become very sensitive to injustice because it was my injustice that put Christ on the cross. So, so therefore, justice is important because justice is what gives us a peaceful society. What we've got to understand is justice is a very important attribute of God. It's not just a term that we throw around. It actually originates in the very nature and character of God. In fact, when you look at scripture, you will find that justice and righteousness are linked together. Whenever you see righteousness, you will see justice. When you see justice, you will see righteousness. The prophet Amos says, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Wouldn't it be great if God's justice just rushed over this country like a mighty stream. That, that it would just, we, we'd see rights wronged and, and we'd see the justice of God taking place. If you look at the psalmist, the psalmist says this, 
righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Now a throne is where a king sits. And when a king sits on his throne, that's when the king exercises his authority. He goes and he gives judgment out and he, and he corrects things and he gives out decrees and commandments. And it says God's throne, when he sits there as king and rules this universe, guess what is the foundation? It's righteousness and justice. So he is always a just king. So what we have to look at, since justice is so important that it actually is part of God's character, we've got to know the difference between biblical justice and what is referred to as social justice. There are some godly men who have written some tremendous resources based on God's word that have helped me in this. Dr. Erwin Lutzer, the uh, pastor emeritus of the great Moody Church in Chicago. He wrote two books recently, one Church in Babylon and the one he just released about a year ago is titled, We Will Not Be Silenced. And then Scott Allen, who's with the Disciple of the Nations Alliance, uh, he wrote a book, Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice. Now what you've got to understand and it's going to take some time to flesh all of this out. I'm not just talking about terms here. I'm actually talking about two different ideologies, two different belief systems. That They are not just little terms. They are total belief systems. They have principles that are underneath them. And one of these, biblical justice, is God-centered and the other one is completely man-centered. So let's start with biblical justice. If you want a definition for biblical justice, it's this. It is conformity to God's moral standard, particularly revealed in the Ten Commandments and the two great commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and then love others as yourself. That is biblical justice. It is grounded on God's moral character, his standards. It's not on man's standards. Biblical justice has two ways of being administered. One deals with you and me. It's called commutative justice. And it is actually living in right relationships with God and with others by valuing all people as image bearers of God. See, this is what we're supposed to be doing when it comes to justice as Christians. We are supposed to go and live with each other, keeping in mind that we have to have a right relationship with God and we have to have a right relationship where we value every single person, every individual, as having inherent worth and intrinsic value. Why? Because they're image bearers of God. Every person I'm looking at here, everyone that's looking on uh, live stream, you are all image bearers of God. You have value. You have worth. 
and we are supposed to relate to one another in that reference. The other type of biblical justice is called distributive justice. And that's when there is impartially rendering of judgment, righting wrongs, and punishing wrongdoing. Now, sometimes when we see injustice, we'd like to do that. We'd like to get revenge. We'd like to go and say, hey, we'll take care of that person if they're going to act that way. But here's the thing you've got to understand. God's distributive justice is reserved for God and for God-ordained authorities. It's not for everybody to take the law into their own hands. In fact, when it's the family and there's injustice in the family, guess who is supposed to correct things? The parents. I had a very liberal father who went and distributed justice quite often. It was regular because he had a very wayward son. But if it's something in the church where someone is breaking God's law and living immorally, then the pastors of the church do church discipline. They are God-ordained authorities to deal with that. It's not for members to cut each other apart through gossip. It is for church authorities to do it. And if there is something going on in society where someone is doing wrong, it is the state who is the God-ordained authority to handle that. And we've got to understand that. Now, when you look at social justice, you've got to, again, get a big picture of the entire ideology that's behind it. A definition for social justice is the tearing down of traditional structures and systems that are deemed by somebody as being oppressive. And you redistribute power and resources from those that are deemed oppressors to victims. And here's the key, in the pursuit of equality of outcomes. How many parents in here have more than one child? Raise your hand. Can you guarantee that all of your children and family will have the same outcome in every aspect of life? No, you can't. Because guess what? God created them differently and put a different call on their lives. So they're not all going to perform at the same level. The only way you can have equality of outcomes is to lower the bar to the lowest. The person with the lowest ability to do something, the bar has to come down there. See, it's even based on a false premise because you can never get that. Now, when you look at all of this, there are some characteristics of social justice that we've got to be aware of. Now, remember, this is a belief system because you may sit out there and see these six or seven things that I'm going to share with you and say, wait a minute, I don't believe that, but I believe in social justice. Well, if you believe and use the phrase social justice, you are tying yourself to an ideology. And you've got to be careful not to do that. Scripture says, don't just avoid evil. It says, avoid the appearance of evil. So don't tie yourself to a philosophy that you don't understand its fundamental parts. 
First of all, in social justice, there is an obsession with power, oppression, and victimization. Everything is based on some person or some group or some system that is oppressive and the rest are victims. And there's power play going on. Social justice, it operates by the ends justifies the means. When Mao Taesung did his march, long march through China, for the sake of having communism take hold in the entire country, he, he did some horrendous acts. Millions of people were murdered. Why? Because the end, being communistic, justified whatever it took to get there. Do you realize there's people now in our country, they believe that, hey, it is right to lie if I get a certain result. See, the end justifies the means. So you can go and have a riot that's burning down private property, that's killing people, but it's justified, why? Because we're trying to get the oppressed out of oppression. So we're going and we're justifying certain things that go against scripture to justify the means. There is a fixation on class, race, gender, and sexual orientation. Now, when, when I talk about race here, I put it in quotes because I'm not talking about the biblical concept of race, that there is one race, the human race. I am talking about the Darwinian evolution definition of race, where Darwin believed that there are many races. Why? Because man evolved from lower life forms at different points, at different stages, and some races are inferior to others. In fact, if you read the total title for Darwin's book that put this all out, here's what the title is. On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection. That's where you usually find the title ending. But the rest of the title says this, or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. See, Darwin believed that there were favored ethnic groups and you had to get rid of the weaker ethnic groups. In fact, that was behind the whole beginning of Planned Parenthood. Let's eliminate a certain quote unquote race because it was selectively considered to be inferior. There is also in social justice ideology, hostility towards Christianity. Social justice has to be against Christianity because guess what? Christianity does not divide people up into classes. Christianity says there's only two groups of people, those who know Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior and those who are lost and need a Savior. Those are the only two groups of people that are out there. See, so social justice ideology has to say Christianity is bad. It's oppressive. There is an animosity toward the God-defined family. Now here's the key. Remember, Satan is out to destroy the family, control the state, 
or weaken the church. And social justice wants to get rid of the nuclear family. In fact, one organization uh, on their website before people found it, and they've taken it down, I believe, it says that number one, they were founded by two self-proclaimed Marxists. And one of their uh, proponents, one of the things they want to accomplish is dissolve the nuclear family. And we're seeing that take place all around our country right now. And we'll talk about this in future weeks here. And number six, there is a redistribution of wealth and power through total control of the state and government. We are seeing in our country today, the government wanting to control everything, whether it's education, whether it's vaccines or not vaccines, the government wants to control. Why? Because that's how you get social justice. Now, when you go and understand how Marxism and social justice works, uh, I wanna sort of break it down into what is good, what are the evil systems, and what are, who are the evil people. Uh, when you go and look at it in generalities, oppressed victims are the good people. They're morally innocent. Any system that's oppressive of these groups, well, that's the system that's evil. And of course, the people who operate those systems, they're the oppressors, they're morally guilty. Cultural Marxism keeps and maintains classical Marxism. In cultural Marxism, there is still the economic classes. You've got the haves and the have-nots. The workers, the common people, the ones who don't have as much money, they are the oppressed, they are the good, they are the morally innocent. Capitalism is the evil system because those who operate capitalism, they're the ones who are evil. They didn't stay there, they added to it race, as we define it according to Darwin, or ethnic minorities, they also are an oppressed group. And therefore, what is the oppressive system? It's white supremacy. Who are the evil people then? Well, who's ever white? And, and so therefore, they are morally guilty. They cannot be innocent because of their skin color and they're part of white supremacy. Then they added another group. They added sex and they said, the female, the woman, is part of an oppressed group. And so therefore, what is the system that keeps that oppression, keeps women down in that lower class of victim? It is patriarchy, where men are the leaders in the home. And therefore, who's the people that are the oppressors? It's males. They added another group, and that's the gender group, LGBTQA+. What is the evil system that keeps those people in oppression? It's biblical morality. And so therefore Christians, Jews, and other traditional uh, people on sex, they are the oppressors. Now, now you've gotta understand something. 
these people in these oppressed groups, guess what? There are injustices there. But the injustice is caused because man is sinful. So we're not saying injustice don't do. But the other thing is that we've got to understand here, we've got to be truthful with these people. Sometimes what we do is we attack them, but that's not loving them. We've got to speak truth to people who are in sin. When you look at scripture and what it says about sexual sin, it, it's clear, it's wrong, it's sinful. But when we talk to people who are in sexual sin, the Bible also says you speak truth in love. And we've got to do that. If I really love a person and they're in sexual sin or any other kind of sin and I speak error to them and I don't speak truth to them in love, then I really don't love them because I'm allowing them to stay in their sin. So we've got to understand that. When you're dealing with justice, either from the biblical perspective or the social justice ideology, there are nine big questions that we have to answer. The first question is simply this, what is ultimately real? Second question is, who are we as human beings? The third question, again, think about justice now, what is the fundamental problem as human beings? Is there a basic problem that we gotta deal with? Then comes from that is, what is the solution to that problem? Another question is, how can we be saved from those problems? What is our primary moral duty? What should we do in the area of justice as fellow believers? We've got, we've got to have answers for those things. You go on, another question is, how do we know what is true? Now we talked a little bit about how we're gonna do that as Christians. Who has the ultimate final authority? And number nine, is there a future final judgment? Those are nine questions that we better have answers for. Because here's the thing, social justice ideology answers all nine of those questions. But I got good news for you. God's word gives the true answer. We can know exactly what's true when it comes to answering these nine questions. So let me go through them one by one and uh, got some scripture references for the biblical position on each one. What is real? The social justice, and it's the same for secular, any secular person, the human mind defines reality. Your experience defines what's real. If you don't experience what I experience in my life, then my reality isn't your reality. But here, biblical justice says this, the God of Genesis one defines reality. The one who created everything defines what's real. Malachi 3.6, the, the prophet says that God declares, I am the Lord, I do not change. I am real. I was real 
before creation. I was real during creation. I'll be real after creation is out of here. God is real. God is the one who defines reality. When you ask the question, who are we? Social justice has an answer to that. Their answer is, we are creatures whose identity is socially determined. We're a product of his or her race, sex, or gender identity. So we get grouped into people, into groups all over the place based on what the social identity is. But God answers that question that says, we are creations and image bearers of a good, holy and loving God with inherent worth and intrinsic value. Now, let me, when you look at those two, which one is true justice? See, when you look at every single person as an image bearer of God with intrinsic worth and inherent value, you, you deal with them much differently than you do if, oh, you're in this group and I'm in that group. In fact, the Bible even says that that unborn child in the womb has just as much value and worth as any of us right. here today. We've got to understand that. So if that's the situation, what's the problem? But here's what social justice ideology says. The problem is oppression. It's the white heteronormative males that have established power structures to subjugate women, people of color, and sexual minorities. And that you can look at what's going on in and you could find examples to say, oh yes, that must be the problem. But folks, the problem is what the Bible says. Whoops. Hit two. The Bible says it's rebellion. All have sinned. There is not one that is good, including me. It says that we all have fallen short of the glory of God. We, we are all the problem because we have a sin nature. My human heart, according to scripture, is deceitfully wicked. And out of the heart comes all the problems that we see in society. We've, we've got to understand this. When you see evil out there in the world, guess what? I am as much capable of doing that evil as the one who's doing it. Why? Because I've got the same sinful heart. But by the grace of God, God has given me a new nature. A new nature that is in line with his character. The result of us all being sinners results in broken relationships between man and God, between man and man, and man and creation. So here's two different problems. One oppression, the other one rebellion. So what's the solution? Well, the social justice says the only solution is revolution. The oppressed victims and their allies must unmask deconstruct and overthrow structures, systems, and institutions. We got to destroy everything. Where God says, no, the answer is the gospel. Jesus Christ, God's only son, came and bore your sin, my sin, on that cross. He was buried 
and he rose with resurrection power to defeat sin and death in the grave. That is the solution. And guess what? Through his death, burial, and resurrection, we find a path where everyone can be reconciled to each other. The only thing that will reconcile broken lives is the gospel. Rebellion, revolution, will never solve and reconcile things. Christ is the one who reconciles all people to himself. Then how can we be saved? The social justice ideology says victims are morally innocent and do not require salvation. Oppressors can never be fully pardoned. Partial salvation is found by confessing one's complicity in the oppression and joining the revolution. See, there's no redemption. If you're guilty in this social justice ideology, you will always be partially guilty. But guess what? (laughs) Jesus Christ says in his word that if you confess him with your mouth as being Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be completely redeemed. I'll tell you, I'd rather be completely redeemed than partially. I I want to be free and righteous before a holy, just God through salvation. So what is our moral duty? Social justice people, they believe they have a moral duty. They are to stand in solidarity with, protect, and defend oppressed women, people of color, sexual minorities, and on and on the groups go. But The Bible says, no, here's our moral duty. We are to love God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. We're supposed to love others as we love ourselves. And then in our going, we are to make disciples of all nations, of everyone. That's our moral duty. That is the moral responsibility of the church. That is the moral responsibility of the home. That is the moral responsibility of every single Christian. So how do you know truth? In the social justice ideology, objective truth, reason, logic, evidence, and argument are tools that oppressors use to keep power. So if I go and show you evidence and proof that this isn't true, I'm just told, well, you're just doing that because you're a white person who's trying to keep your power. See, because that is no good. A oppressed person, a victim's subjective lived experience is what determines truth. Where we know that truth is known through this book and through God's creation. And guess what? God gives us the ability to go and take his book, gain evidence, look at logic and reason and discussion to pursue truth for Full justice. Who has final authority? Victims are the final authority to social justice. The claims of victims based on their subjective lived experience is to be believed. We know the final authority rests in God and his word. And here's the big one, folks, because this is the one that counts for all of eternity. Is there a final judgment coming. 
Social justice says no. There is no God who will return to punish the wicked and reward the upright. So we've got to step in. Injustice must be outrooted out. We've got to get revenge. We've got to go and overthrow everything if you have the power. Here's the good news, folks. Jesus Christ is coming again. And when he comes, he's going to come in truth and righteousness and judgment. Jesus will return and he'll accomplish perfect justice. He will preserve all that is good and rid the world of all evil. I'm waiting for that day. And he goes until then though, he extends mercy and forgiveness to all people. See, he's not saying, well, I'll come sometime and do it. He says, but while you're waiting for me to come and bring true justice and peace, and reconcile everything. I'm going to extend my mercy, my forgiveness to people who repent and turn to me. How did we get here? How did we get in this situation where we have seen this false ideology creep into our homes, into our individual lives, into the church and cause division? I think you've got to go back to where the fundamentalist developed that dualistic worldview and they said, you know what, we're only gonna focus as a church on the spiritual. Uh, We're not gonna focus on the secular. To look at it in a picture, it would look like this. God's desire is to rule and reign over all of life. Not just, this is uh, dedicated Sundays versus weekdays. That's the secular sacred divide that this diagram uses. And, and that's how God wants to rule. He wants to be involved with justice because he's the true judge. But what we have done, we have gone and divided the kingdom and we have separated the weekday from Sunday, the secular from the sacred. And what that did was it put social justice over in the secular and the church said, we're not going to deal with that. Now, Jesus himself said that if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Now, will God's kingdom fail? No. But guess what? The church in the United States, if it's divided, it's going to fall. It's not going to have any impact on the culture. So that's what happened. And when that happened, justice was delegated to the secular compartment and the church was silent on many of the injustices that are in society. Here's what that created. That created a vacuum. If you know anything about a vacuum, if you have a a jar of vacuum-packed peanuts and you break the seal, what happens? You hear the... You hear that air go in. When there's a vacuum, it's, it wants to be filled. I'll never forget going and doing several trips to the former Soviet Union uh, back in the early 90s. The Iron Curtain had just fallen. And you gotta understand, they had kicked God out of their entire society for 70 years. There was a spiritual vacuum you wouldn't believe. And when that wall fell down, that they were just hungry. Anything that had spirituality in it, they just sucked in and believed everything. 
And I'll never forget brokenhearted walking through the streets of Moscow and, and Magadan and Habarsk and some of these other places, Vilnius, Lithuania. And I would see that they were sucking in the Moonies and the Harry Krishnas. Why? Because they had a spiritual answer, a false spiritual answer, but they just sucked in everything. See, a vacuum, when it wants to be filled, it doesn't discern what's good and what's bad. It takes whatever's there. And because the church was silent on the social area, guess what happened? The vacuum sought to be filled ideological social justice was there and it just sucked it in. And now we've got a false philosophy that has crept into the church, into our homes, into our lives. Another way of looking at this is what Jesus wrote in the parables when he was talking about the sower of good seed. He said, a farmer went out and sowed some good seed. And, and what happened was at night, while they were sleeping, the enemy came in and sowed bad seed. And this is what has happened in our society. And we're going to look at this as we move forward. While we were sleeping and, not, and taking these things in the secular world and saying, we're not going to address these. We're not going to address education. We're not going to address uh, politics. We're not going to address uh, social justice. When, when we did that, the enemy just came in while we were silent and sowed false philosophy in all those areas. And now, while we're trying to find the wheat, we find all the weeds and the tares. And we can't tell the difference. And, and that is exactly what has happened with us. So when you understand the false, deceitful lies of Satan that are behind the social justice ideology and belief system, and you see the truth of biblical justice, we've got to understand there is hope. And when we look at hope, I want to share four things that we're going to have to do as we move on from here. Number one, and this is an individual thing, we have to make sure that God reigns in our entire lives. Because the common worldview of even Bible-believing Christians is dualistic in nature. There is a wall between the secular and sacred divide. And what we have to do, we have to understand that when God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he, he put all things under Christ's authority. And what we've got to do now is we've got to break down that wall and we've got to make sure what God's word says that he reigns by total obedience of all of life. That's number one. Number two, we must recognize today's culture. If you're in my generation, I think you would say you never thought you would live in a world like we're living in today. Would I get any amens for that? You know, there's even young people who would say, I never thought I'd see what we're seeing today. But it's been, a, it's been a slow change. One person defined it this way. We had a Christian culture here in the United States at one time. And then it became a post-Christian culture. And now it's an anti-Christian culture. See, in a Christian culture, the culture, society actually supports Christianity. 
In a post-Christian culture, society, all it does is tolerate Christianity. Now, so that you understand, because some of you may be thinking, oh yes, I remember living in a Christian culture where we could pray in schools and we could read our Bibles. That was still post-Christian. There's no one alive in this room that lived in a Christian culture. It had already disappeared. Because, see, we were just tolerated. Oh yes, you can say a prayer in school and you can read the Bible once in a while in school, but, but no, you can't make that your curriculum. You, you can't go and instill that in everything. No, we're just gonna tolerate. You be good little Christians and, and, and we'll tolerate you. Someone recently wrote that at one time, it was positive to be called a Christian. In our country, if you called yourself a Christian, it would give you benefit. Uh, people would go and businessmen would join churches. Why? Because they could put a little fish on their, uh, boy, this is gonna date me, yellow page ad. And now some, some don't even know what that is. You know, and, and they put that little fish on there because we're a Christian country company. So it would be good for our business to call ourselves Christian. Then we went into where it was just neutral. If you wanted to be a Christian, that's fine. Today, if you're a Christian, it's negative. You, you, you want to put the, uh, the Ixus uh, symbol on your ad? You may be taken to court like a baker in Colorado was because you can't have those Christian beliefs. Here's the bottom line. We once lived in Jerusalem but now we're in Babylon. We have actually been taken into captivity. When you're living in Babylon, you've got to understand a couple things. You and I as Christian believers in the United States, right now, we are in exile. Not geographically, but we are in exile spiritually and morally. The culture is not in line with biblical morality. We are living in that captivity. Because of that, we've got to understand that we're going to face opposition. And when you stand for truth, you're going to be attacked. And you may shrink back and allow that attack to go on. See, here's the thing you've got to realize. Step number three every one of us must choose how we're gonna live in Babylon. It's not a choice whether you're in Babylon, but how are you gonna live there? You can do it one of three ways. It's your choice. We can isolate from Babylon. There were Israelites in Babylon who they just kept in their home and had their little private Torah devotions. They never spoke out against the false prophet Baal or any of those things. They, they, just, they just stayed in their holy huddles. But that's not what God wants. Unfortunately, too many Christians assimilate with the culture. And, and when you assimilate with the culture, what you do is you intermarry with it. You, you just say, well, I'll go with the flow. You've got to understand something. The natural thing to do and the most cowardly thing to do is just be like the culture. We'll, we'll give a little nod to God on Sundays, but for the rest of our lives, we're just gonna go with the flow. 
God says, no, I don't want you to do either one. You need to infiltrate the Babylon. And not just infiltrate Babylon, but infiltrate it where you're not contaminated. We can't be contaminated, folks. When Jesus was in the garden praying to his father, he said, Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you, protect them from the evil one. Because that evil one wants to come and deceive and take them captive. I want them in the world just like I was sent into the world. So we're supposed to infiltrate and not be contaminated. Number four, and this sets the tone for what we're going to do down the road. We need to build strong families. It is critical that we build strong families. Why? Because the institution of the family was the first institution designed by God. And it is the foundation of any other institution. Satan wants to destroy it. God wants to preserve it. But he can't preserve it if we're not committed to it. And we, in the next few weeks, are going to talk about what it takes to build strong families. Erwin Lutzer wrote in his book, Church in Babylon, this statement. Our task is to be faithful, even if we can't restore the erosion of the Judeo-Christian consensus. Listen to this now. God calls us to obedience, not success. Do you realize God has prepared you for such a time as this? He wouldn't bring us into this time if he weren't there to empower and enable us. It's not about success, it's about obedience. Only strong families can weather the cultural storms of Babylon. With strong families, God will have a future seed to advance his kingdom. Do you want to be like that? Are you ready to infiltrate this culture, this Babylon, but not be contaminated? Are you ready to build strong families? Let's stand, let's worship, and realize we only have one hope, and that's Jesus Christ. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.